Hey, hey, everybody. If you're listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of this episode of The Shift with Doug McKenty. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the show in order to access the full feature-length versions of the podcast, as well as have access to the Members Forum, where we discuss potential topics and interviews and dive deep into the overall concept of The Shift. For only six bucks a month, not only do you get the full-length episodes, but also an opportunity to co-create with me, your host, Doug McKenty, the future of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com or patreon.com backslash the shift and sign up today in order to help make the shift possible. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning, noon, or night, whenever and wherever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I'm your host. My name is Doug McKinty. This episode was recorded on August 27th, 2021. My guest on the show today is independent journalist Allison Morrow. After spending years as a professional journalist working for a variety of local news affiliates, Allison broke free from the corporate yoke and reinvented her career as part of the independent news circuit. Her experience makes her the perfect candidate to compare and contrast the practice of journalism within the corporate system as opposed to utilizing her own independent editorial insights. For those of us often espousing ideas propagated outside the mainstream narrative, Many are skeptical of our perspective based on the notion that corporate journalists work tirelessly to provide the most up-to-date investigative journalism available, double-checked by an editorial staff dedicated to exposing corruption and promoting truth to the best of their abilities. There is no way, we are told, that all those participating in this system are corrupt themselves, so much of the news and information promoted through corporate channels is therefore legitimate and trustworthy. Conversely, we are told independent media can produce whatever they want, without the aid of editorial staff capable of separating the wheat from the chaff. It is often claimed that these sources are dangerous proliferators of misinformation, if not outright propaganda for the enemies of the state. Well, Allison's personal experience tells us otherwise. Stay tuned for this conversation, which includes a day in the life of the corporate journalist. She describes a situation where journalists are simply too busy to do much, if any, actual fact-checking. And fact-checking is necessary to dispute claims made by prominent government and corporate sources. Journalists are given assignments after the morning editorial meeting and must produce completed content by the end of the day. Clearly, reporting controversial topics from a variety of perspectives requires hours of research and multiple interviews. While it is true that these reporters are not part of some grand conspiracy to propagandize the public, pressure from an editorial staff, in turn pressured by ratings and corporate advertisers, makes in-depth investigative reporting difficult, if not impossible, in today's corporate newsroom. Not only will Allison describe how her own editorial capabilities were stifled under the corporate system, but she will also describe what happened after making the transition to the independent media space. Having experienced journalism through the lens of both worlds, her perspective can help the rest of us understand how the corporate narrative is manufactured, as well as provide insight into breaking the spell cast on those who insist on disparaging independent perspectives while promulgating only the corporate narrative. Find out more about the work of Alison Morrow on her self-titled channels on YouTube, Rockfin, and Odyssey, or go to www.alisonmorrowmedia.com for more information. 
As always, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast on your social media channels. We rely on listeners like you to distribute this information. Go to www.theshiftnow.com to sign up for the newsletter, subscribe for feature-length versions of the show, and find hours of free content from Doug McKinty Studios. I want to give Allison Morrow a big thank you for agreeing to this interview, and thanks to you for helping to make the shift. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this, the 91st episode of The Shift. I'm happy today to be joined by journalist Allison Morrow. She was a professional journalist uh, for quite some time before she broke out into the independent media circuit. And I am extremely excited to have this conversation because uh, we're always getting the question, how can all the mainstream journalists be lying? How, how is it they're all on the same page? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, well, Allison, why don't you just start by describing uh, your experience to my audience uh, in terms of your professional journalism experience and why you transitioned over uh, into independent media, and then uh, we can continue with uh, what's going on with the corporate media these days. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for the invitation. I think probably the easiest way to give people some insight into this is to just walk you through what one day in my life was like. Huh. So. You have an editorial meeting around 9.30 in the morning, and they won't start that any earlier or typically let you start work any earlier because they don't want to pay you overtime. And you sometimes have to do a live shot at 6.30. And even if they do pay you overtime, they don't want to pay that much. So an hour is, you know, two right. hours, definitely the cutoff. So they don't want you starting any earlier than 9.30 because, again, like I said, you might have to be live at 6.30. You don't get off work till 7, 7.30. So you start your day in this editorial meeting where – it might take an hour because everybody's got to talk about this angle and that angle. And, but I heard this and I heard that. And, and some people like those things. I, I hated editorial meetings. I tried everything I could to get out of them. Uh, I covered the environment full time my last five years. And so they were pretty irrelevant for me anyway. Nobody really knew what I was doing the way I knew what I was doing. And then it was just felt like a bunch of people just opining on stuff, drinking coffee. And I'm like, I don't know how you people have time for this. So mm-hmm. Stay though you get stuck in one of those meetings. You might not get out until 1030. Now you've gotten your assignment. They say, um, you know, hey, let me give you an example from like before I was covering the environment. So uh, back when we had, we pulled out of Iraq a little bit, I guess, and then all hell broke loose and then we were going back. And um, I, I pitched, you know, what if we talked to like a gold star mom about what it's like watching this shit hit the fan again and, you know, now it's like, you know, you, we went in once, kid dies, and then we pull out and now it's a mess and we're going back. And, and just what does a mom who's watching this think about having lost their kid in this conflict? Right. Great, great idea, Allison. Okay, well, now I got to go find somebody. It's 1030 in the morning. I got to find a gold star mom. Not only do I have to find a gold star mom, but I have to convince her to talk on camera. So I did. Somehow I, you know, I found a list of gold star moms in our area. I called a bunch of them. I talked to one of them. Turns out, you know, she was willing to talk. She lives about 45 minutes from the station. So I shot and edited all of my own stuff. I work by myself 90% of the time. So I load up the vehicle drive the car, uh, get to the house, set up the lights, set up the interview. She happens to tell me that it also, if I remember correctly, it's not only um, her wedding anniversary, it's the anniversary of her son's death, and it's her mm. birthday, like all on the same day, okay? Right. And I'm, and she's all alone, okay? Oh, sorry, yeah, her husband's dead too, 
All right. So keep in mind, I'm the only one. And this sometimes happens to reporters. You know, you're you're the first person and the only person somebody in a terrible situation may talk to. So you're like not going to just go, okay, that's nice lady. Start rolling. Right. You spend some time with people. Hopefully if you're still a human being and you haven't lost all of your heart and, um, and then you, you know, okay, you ready to record. Okay. Get stuff set up. She's showing the metal, showing this phone goes off. See Simon desk. Uh, Hey Allison, we're going to have to switch you because a bunch of punks graffitied their high school or whatever. I it was something like that. There was like some big prank. Well, I'm like, I'm not leaving this lady. I, that's, you know, are you kidding me? So I, I'm not leaving, you know, well, you have to go. That's your, that's your story for tonight. Well, I, I refuse to leave. Okay. Well, fine. Shoot that. And then go shoot the other thing. Okay. So I spent an hour with this woman, um, because I was just like, not going to be a jerk and, and just leave her. Um, and then I have to start all over at one or two o'clock in the afternoon, race down to the high school, try to find my sound bites. Um, get that on TV. You know, I have three hours. Remember I don't work with, I, I wasn't working then at least that day. And most of my days I was not working with a photographer. So I have to do all the technical things. I can't call and make phone calls, do research or any of that stuff. Mm. Um, go get the, the story at the high school with the graffiti, get that on by six. Um, Oh no, sorry. Then they decided, you know what? It's not really a story. We don't want that anymore. Go back to the gold star mom story. It's now five 30 at night and they want the story by six 30. So I'm going to have to write track, edit it all in one hour. I had I had a little bit of a, uh, a rebellious streak to me. So I refused that too. I was like, I will get this on at a later time, but I'm not turning it in an hour. But most reporters would go, Oh God. Okay. Okay. So now that's an uncomplicated story. Okay. That, in other words, right. like none of those things I just told you that I was covering required reading through Senate reports, reading through FDA documents, um, you know, any of that. It, it just, it was just like this lady's experience or that graffiti at the school. So imagine if you're now a reporter and you're living that life where you're talking about something that requires actual research, time to digest the information, find the right people to talk about it. It's, it's near impossible, even for the person who knows what they're talking about, which many of them don't, but even for the person who knows what they're talking about and has their heart in the right place, it's a near impossible system to succeed when it comes to real in-depth journalism. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's just the thing. I think people have this idea that professional journalists are all, you know, doing research, coming up with their own independent conclusions based on the facts that they're finding, and then, um, you know, presenting this maybe to the editor who then double checks their work to make sure the facts are correct so that if it goes out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're definitely getting the truth and you're getting this um, this personal interpretation from, from journalists. And then when they see the same messaging coming over, which, and this happens a lot on the mainstream media, the same messaging from every single source that you're looking at, uh, then they're just presuming that these hundreds or thousands of journalists are basically coming to the same conclusion because the facts are very obvious. Um, (laughs) but you're saying this is not the case. (laughs) Well, okay. Think about if, if you're covering something right now, like, um, the COVID vaccine, uh, let's say specifically the FDA approval process, Mm -hmm. the, yeah, the vast majority are just like taking the press release that comes from the FDA and just saying, this is what the FDA says. Yeah. And, and that's enough, you know, that's enough for the vast majority of mainstream journalists. Like this is what the FDA says. Um, and are they talking to people who are really questioning the FDA? Well, okay. Some may, but let's go back to like the time constraints anyway of the person who say wants to do a good job, but just doesn't have the time to think through it. So the level of skepticism that 
the mainstream journalist typically gives the government is very low. In other words, the bar that the government has to jump is very low compared to the outsider. So right. the outsider who may be critiquing the government, well, it's like, well, we got to, we're going to have to confirm that. Well, if you don't have time to confirm it, because you only have like an hour, the likelihood that you're just going to have the FDA press release without anybody really pushing back on it um, in a significant way. I mean, maybe in a little bit, you know, there might be somebody who says something safe, but contrarian, but not anyone who's going to go like, you know, full Monty on that because then you're, Oh God, now we're, we're questioning the government. Now we got, we got to really put the time into it and they don't get the time. So then the person who always ends up on TV is the low risk, low bar, which typically ends up being a bureaucratic source of some kind. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, very contrary to the concept of the fourth estate where journalists are supposed to be consistently double checking what the government <laughs> is doing so that we can actually live in a functional democracy here and we can actually have debates. I did see uh, what you recently posted about the the COVID piece that you analyzed, the man on the street piece. Uh, yeah, and you were just kind right. of taking that apart, which was awesome to watch, uh, just to go bit by bit how they took those sound bites that they got from the person on the street and then constructed this story, um, which was uh, clearly basically that people who didn't want to get vaccinated were anti-science, potentially almost dangerous Trump supporters, politically motivated, um, and that people that were pro-vaccine, uh, even the journalist himself, was like, of course, I got the vaccine, as if they, you know, they're completely educated people and, and, mm -hmm. and pro-science. And mm -hmm. to watch that kind of... Um, that kind of um, prejudice just so clearly come across. Yeah, the like screen. where the guy goes, oh, of course. When when the person asks, right. <laughs> asks the reporter, "Did you, are you going to get it or did you get it?" He goes, "Well, gosh, yeah." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the fact first off, the fact that he said that, but secondly, that they put that in the piece. You know, that went through an approval process where somebody was like, "Yeah, keep it in." Like what? So you're bragging about that now. You're bragging about basically calling the person you're interviewing an idiot. Cause that's literally, that's basically the subtext there. Right. When he said right. that, Oh gosh. Yeah. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you a dummy? You know, why wouldn't you get that? And it's like, wow, he, he actually, not only did he say that to the person that, that he was interviewing, but he left it in the package. Like, ugh, man, that, that just, it just, it just goes to show where we're at now. Yeah, I know. It's nuts. I mean, the confirmation bias of the of the reporter is literally reported in the piece and then it goes yeah. on to like continue. I mean, where's the where's yeah, the they're bragging piece? about it now? Right. Yeah, they're bragging about it. Yeah, it's it, it's just such a it's so bizarre, which I think that's one of the main reasons that I started talking about this stuff, because in, in some ways, when I first did media analysis, because this is not what I started out doing. I was just, mm -hmm. you know, moving off grid and renovating an airstream. It was non-controversial. And I'm sure I lost like a ton of subscribers when I switched over to doing media analysis. because right. People were like, oh, I just want to watch airstream renovation. This is <laughs> a little bit too heavy for me. Um, but I, yeah, I did that because I was like, what is going on here? I mean, there's so many so many things that are are uh, changing in the way that journalism is now being defined in in, in this particular case from like uh, we're curious about the contrarians we're curious about people who are dissenting we're curious about the person who's not swimming with the rest of the you know, the group, mm -hmm. we went from that to, we're trying to get rid of those people. We're trying to silence them. And we're trying, and, and that is journalism now. Dissociating from the dissenter is now journalism. And, you know, I, and, and, and posturing your moral, 
crusading towards getting people to do what you think they should do that that's what that's that's now the message and it it's just it's so antithetical to why I even not just got into the business but liked it I mean I liked being a journalist because you talk to cool weird fringy types you know I've told the story on my channel before where we're driving on 275 in uh, Tampa, St. Pete, Florida, being that that day I was working with a photographer on a live truck. And this guy zooms past us in a pickup truck with like signs to say the world's going to end in basically like four weeks. And, you know, I looked it up real like, what is that? Looked it up real fast. Apparently this was like a movement of people that, that really believed that the world was going to end. Well, I feel like nowadays you would say, you know, oh God, that guy's just a crazy person. I don't want to talk to that. But I'm like, I want to know what, what is this guy? So I was like, hit the gas, you know, right. zoom, zoom up to the pickup truck. I'm like, pull over, pull over. You know, of course, if he's, I felt like we were just like making fun of him and he didn't, wasn't all, you know, that, that I, I can understand there being ethics there, but this guy was like, he, he was like giving me his reasons. And, and there was like this whole group. He's like, yeah, we're out every day. We're handing out, we're handing out bulletins. We're like, I go, can I follow you guys? Can I see what, what this is all about? Like, how are people responding to your movement? What, what do you, what do you think about like, what's going to happen? And so, you know, it turns out, obviously I did that first story. The world didn't end. I got to revisit him. And like, I did like his lessons learned after he, oh, you yeah. know, like, cause he had sold his business and everything thinking that huh. the world was going to end. So he like, yeah, he looked straight at the viewers. He's like, don't sell your business if you think the world is going to end, like that was, you know, <laughs> and, um, whatever you do. Cause he's like, cause you know what, if it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you sold it. And if it doesn't end, you still have your business. I was like, boom, that's the ending sound bite. you know, don't sell your business. But, but you know, it, it was, it was fun to, to, to interview different people with different ideas mm -hmm. to, to get the interview with the person that was charged with murder, the, per, the, the doctor that was, was kicked out of whatever, you know, homogenous medical society. Why, why did that happen? Why, why was that person kicked out? What was going over the dynamics? It was fun to do that. It wasn't just like it was the job. That was the, that was the meat and potatoes of, of what made it interesting to be a journalist was that you got to talk to those people. And now it's like, those are the exact people that you're not supposed to talk to at all. Because I think there's like this connection now with endorsing ideas. Like if you're somebody who's willing to associate with somebody by just listening to them and trying to understand how they think now all of a sudden you're endorsing what they're saying that's right. just that's ridiculous it, it's just you know of course it, it, if you if you actually don't agree with somebody what you should be doing is listening to what they have to say because otherwise how a how do you know you disagree but also how do you build an argument there's no way to build an argument ag against somebody that you don't understand so e even from a logical standpoint it makes no sense to to just stay away from people that you consider to be agents of disinformation yeah it's fascinating and i think you mentioned in the piece about the about covid and how it's being covered is the lack of debate. Like the mainstream narrative is not at all fostering debate. I mean, believe it or not, I mean, it, I don't know how many doctors, health professionals, scientists uh, are disagreeing with the, the corporate narrative, but it's probably upwards of 20 plus percent. Uh, and certainly there's a lot of coercion, a lot of reason not to speak out because sometimes if they speak out against the narrative, even their their licenses can be, right, exactly. uh, you know, um, can be put in danger. And so, but the <coughs> fact that we're not allowed to even hear or foster a, a debate scenario so people can then exactly what you're talking about, like make a logical choice based on both sides of the argument, mm -hmm. um, that's what's fascinating. And as you mentioned, I think uh, actually dangerous. I mean, what's going on here? Right. Well, and I hear from the doctors that I have on 
quite a bit that they get mm -hmm. notes all the time from other doctors saying, thank you for speaking out. Right. So, you know, they're, they're definitely out there. I, I know many of them or take Dr. David Brownstein, for instance, I, he was on a year ago, uh, because the FTC told him that if he was talking about his COVID treatments on, uh, on his own website, that they were going to put him in jail. So, I mean, how do you even know who's out there dissenting? Wow. There's just not even any way to know. And, and so he's, yeah, he's writing a book because he said he found out that books have first amendment rights, but people don't really. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but, but yeah, I mean, there are people like him who just thought, Hey, this is what medical doctors do in the same way. That's what I thought journalists did. Uh, at your beginning of a pandemic, you're trying to figure out what's going on. I'm going to treat my patients with different things and I'm going to put it online. If you want to learn from it, great. If you don't, don't read it. It's just what he thought doctors did, you know, especially if you didn't know what you were, what you were dealing with. And yeah. nope, apparently not with this, not with this. They didn't want to know what was working. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of the COVID narrative, like the early treatment protocols, I mean, I followed the hydroxychloroquine issue pretty quickly. I interviewed somebody, uh, Dr. Merrill Nass, who wrote a piece, uh, the, the 37 ways that they've constructed the, the anti-hydroxychloroquine narrative, just going, you know, article by article, and even some of the peer-reviewed studies, which have been twisted, didn't, didn't follow the complete protocol. Uh, and then the mainstream media would pick up on those studies, right. not really analyze them in depth, Mm -hmm. And then it would be all over the place. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's another thing about it. I mean, basically, in my mind, actually, it's just it's becomes corporate propaganda at mm -hmm. some point, right? I mean, we yeah. can't deny this. I mean, that clearly there's some system mm -hmm. where there's a narrative and somebody at the top of the corporate hierarchy can decide what that narrative is going to be. And then it trickles down to where all the reporters basically all the affiliates know that this is the narrative they have to stick to. And if they waver from that, there's going to be repercussions. Mm -hmm. Well, I honestly think the only people or the vast majority of the people who know there's an agenda are the dissenters in a newsroom mm -hmm. and the ones who, who are repeating it. They're like the people in Plato's cave analogy who are still just facing the cave wall, thinking that it's reality with the fire behind them. They don't realize it's the shadows that they're watching of them. Oh, you know, themselves on the wall. They think it's actually them. Yeah. I think the, the vast majority of them are completely unaware of what they're participating in. And uh, is there awareness of that at the top? Maybe, but I still even think those people have somehow told themselves that what they're doing is the righteous thing. Uh, however they envision that, I don't know. But yeah. but I think many of them tell themselves, in, in, in other words, I guess, I, I've never met somebody who's like, I truly know that I'm lying to people uh, and uh, it's and it's bad for them, but I'm doing it anyway because I'm evil and I, and I like to do right. bad things to people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> for the most of them are just like, they, they think what they're doing is the morally righteous thing to do and, and they do the mental gymnastics in order to get themselves there. Uh, you know, to go back to that, man on the street story that you were just talking about, uh, where, you know, again, man on the street is just like the reporter is told to just get reaction. And, and usually it's a big topic that they, Hey, just, just, uh, take this, this big topic topic for them. It was, will the FDA approval mean anything to the skeptics? And, um, and so what they do is they're just like, well, where are the skeptics? Okay. I mean, I, I could almost repeat what happened in their morning meeting on that day. Where right. are the skeptics? Okay. Let's go to the County that has like the lowest vaccination rate in Georgia. Okay. Where is that? They go to the County. They stand outside the grocery store waiting for people to come out. Uh, now 
during that day, there may have been a couple people who came out of the grocery store who could have said like, well, I've seen Dr. Malone. I don't know if you've seen him. He's the mRNA vaccine technology inventor. And he said, blah, blah, blah. They may have run into somebody like that. Right. right. But in order for them to allow that soundbite into the package, now they have to go look up Dr. Malone. Now they have to see what Dr. Malone had to say. But it's again, like I said, even for the most, the most uh, intellectually honest journalist to do all of that work is pretty impossible with the system and the, and the way that, you know, the time that they have to have their package in the managing editors. And, and like I said, low bar, high bar, right? The, the low bar for you repeating government talking points, the let that sound bite in the high bar for having to fact check the thing that questions, the bureaucratic sources, the time that's required for that. It just, it doesn't fit in the system. So, so remember, like if you, if you thought, think of those sound bites, like one of these, like, I don't think it's Mark of the Beast. I just don't want it. Does, does he have to go right. fact check that? No, because it's just her saying something like about the mark of the beast. He doesn't have to go do anything there. Now, if somebody says something that actually challenges the narrative with, you know, that's when they're like, oh, God, I would ha- I'm going to have to go fact check that one. Oh, sh- well, it's you know what? My package is due at five o'clock. It's right. <laughs> Yes, I can't do that. You know, so like, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to put that in. And so you can see how these stories are are set up like that. It's just it the stuff that that actually challenges the narrative that requires the, for them to have that bar requires investigative reporting and investigative journalists are few and far between nowadays. The amount of time that, that most newsrooms give their journalists is, um, is pennies on a dollar for, for what they really need to do their job now. And that also means that you're going to end up with people in newsrooms who are okay with that. Right. Because eventually I was not okay with that. I started to realize what I didn't know. I was one of the dissenters who was sitting in the newsroom, like, holy crap, what is going on here? And I realized there's no way I'm going to be able to change the system. I tried. That was my last Hail Mary to stay in the business was I went up to my bosses and I gave them a reformatted position that I would I would feel comfortable staying in. It was going to be digitally based. I was going to get to live where I wanted to live on top of it, but it was going to be something where I was going to spend more time and have, you know, the ability to do to do long videos and print, you know, like write something on the website instead of 90 second piece. That's the other problem, right? In TV news, you got to keep it in 90 seconds or less. Yeah. How are you supposed yeah. to do any of that? You can't, but they right. didn't, they didn't like my idea. They thought I was nuts. So that's why I quit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I heard a quote from Noam Chomsky uh, where he was being interviewed by a reporter and it, the reporter was actually asking him like, w- you know, why do you think that, uh, again, like you're saying, these reporters aren't evil people and they're not trying to twist the narrative just to support some corporate agenda or something. But um, he was talking with Noam Chomsky about, uh, you know, why why does Noam think that the system is manufacturing consent and this and that? And, and Noam's response was uh, something like to the effect of you wouldn't be here if you didn't already basically toe the line on the, right. on the, on the narratives that you're given. So, um, it seems like within that corporate hierarchy, basically, if you are one of these dissenters, like you were trying to stray from the system say, Hey, I'd like to do a little bit more actual investigative reporting, a little bit more long form, uh, research driven reporting. And it's like, no, we can't do that. And you're not going to advance in the system. So the people ultimately that are making it into the, Mm -hmm. into the, onto the national news sets Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And then having access to even having conversations with senators or, 
you know, the president or, you know, Dr. Fauci or things like that. These are people that have been groomed for years Mm -hmm. who basically, as you, as you were saying before, just simply already accept the narrative. I mean, they're not, they're not the kinds of people who were looking to find that dissenting point of view and then, and then flush that out and, you know, help people understand both sides of the story. Yeah. 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 And it's a leadership thing. If the newsroom leadership there, it is possible to have newsroom leadership. I've had, you know, some, some former news directors on my channel who think what's going on is just as crazy, but then again, they're also gone too. So, so, you, you know, you can have leadership that, 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 that tries to encourage critical thinking and tries to give reporters more time. Um, but you know, then you have the corporation really on top of the, the manager in the newsroom and you know, yeah, they don't, they don't want to rock the boat either because they want to make money that that's where the money really is. Okay. It's, it's, you know, a lot of people think that, that the, the reporters themselves or even the news directors are like pushing big pharma talking points or whatever, because big pharma is the advertiser. But, you know, I didn't know any of our advertisers. The vast majority of reporters have no clue who's advertising. They're not paying attention to that. And the news directors, you know, they're paying attention to ratings, but they're not really closely paying attention to, to the advertisers, but the, the corporation is, and, um, they're paying attention to the money. So, you know, yeah, if there's, if there's an advertiser, that's, that's, uh, very important to the corporation, or there's an idea that's very important to the corporation or, you know, silencing it, you know, inversely is important. They'll make sure the news director knows in which case, you know, you're not, you're not going to go past it, but I would say the vast majority, um, the vast majority, I think of the problem goes back to a lack of critical thinking skills Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, people who are basically promoted based on their lack of critical thinking. So, so, and then, and, and then pair that with this moral righteousness, which we've seen, you know, it's always been there. Journalists have always been like, I'm in the business for, you know, it's a, a virtue thing. Right. And, um, and that's just like on steroids now. So, so you, yeah, when you have, uh, what did my husband used to say? Like uh, small minds with big power, you know, when you right. <laughs> small minds with big power, um, you got a problem. And especially when they've convinced themselves that, you know, they're in this position of power for these very morally righteous reasons and they, and that they must maintain control for that reason. Well, I've actually been, and I know, um, like you have a master's in divinity, right? And you, mm-hmm. and you studied psychology as a part of that, I think I yeah. read. Mm-hmm. And so I've been analyzing this in a lot of cases in, in terms of just the psychology of the situation. Mm-hmm. Like why are people, like, it does seem like the people that maybe have a, a psychological tendency to trust the authority figure yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, then they're the ones that are going to get promoted through the system. And then they're going to be promoting mm-hmm. the the corporate narrative or the, you know, the, the government narrative. And they like it. They, they, they like being in that the, the brand of the institute. It didn't really mean jack to me. So mm-hmm. I have friends who are in the business that are getting really abused, frankly, you know, I mean like, Hey, here's a promotion, but actually we have to cut your salary by $20,000. That's a oh, wow. real story. Um, huh who just don't leave. They're like, they've got like Stockholm syndrome and, um, it's right. because they just, they don't see life outside of the institution. They're, they're total institutionalists. They, they can't understand how they could do better work. If they really cared about journalism, come on, would you really stay? You know, if that was really what it's about, cause they've convinced themselves it's about journalism, but come on, you, it, it's very hard to do good journalism. I, and I, if somebody would just say, Hey, listen, it's a paycheck and I don't know what else I'm going to do. That to me would be more honest than saying, you know, I just love journalism. <laughs> you know, that's why I'm staying here. Right. So 
I just think they, their identity is so wrapped up in it. And I, and I agree with you that I think that's why a psychology is a great way to, is a great lens through which to look at this. Um, because I, I truly believe that even if you tackled the corporate financing part of mainstream news, you would still have the problem of this, you know, of, of institutionalists, group think mm-hmm. people who just go with the flow people who don't question narratives people who you know think they're morally righteous for uh censoring others that's that's something that you got to fix kind of on a i mean you can fix it on a group level i guess with the leadership like i said if you have a leader in the newsroom that's just like constantly right. trying to model that behavior and then you open a space for that dialogue um but you know on an individual basis like i've always said that if i if I had a journalism class, I mean, that's, that's what I would do would be just work on (laughs) their individual triggers, basically. Like I would, I would sit them all down and like every day we would go through stories and I would ask them to try to figure out what is it that they'd like or dislike from a, from a psychosomatic standpoint. You know, do you feel angry when you read that? Do you feel scared? Like right. who, who do you not like in this? Who's your good guy? Who's your bad guy? You know, let's talk about that and let's talk about why. So that at the very least, when you go into the industry, you're equipped with understanding yourself. And I think self-awareness is severely lacking everywhere, not right. just here. But you know, the, the problem in this industry is that we need you to be self-aware. Um, doctors need to be self-aware. You would, you would like people in the judicial system to be self-aware, you know, but uh, so when you're, when you're controlling the truth and you're telling people about, about, um, what's right versus wrong or factual versus, uh, infactual or unfactual, uh, yeah, it would be nice if you knew a little bit about yourself before you, you know, you, right. you started telling others what to do. Um, you know, cause a lot of people just, they just don't, they don't know a whole lot and they don't want to, you know, I, they don't want to know that's, that's the other crazy part. You could, I, I could, you know, if, if some of my buddies who are still in the industry, like really wanted to, if they were like, Oh, please, could I, could I figure like, all you have to do is look at my YouTube channel, you know, Hey, look right. at Allison. She's gone off the deep end. I could watch her <laughs> stuff and see what she's doing. They don't want to. None of them watch. Well, it's so fascinating. I mean, you bring in so many concepts here. And I think the, that institutionalism versus actual personal critical thinking, because I think critical thinking is a kind of a, a personal path like you're talking about. And you have to, if you're a real critical thinker, you're going to bump into what, it, what are your emotional triggers, right? And then, yeah. and then like, wait a minute, you know, I need to take a few deep breaths and realize that, you know, this is a trigger based on maybe something that happened in my past. It's not really, you know, in this article right. or whatever. It's not in the reality that I'm constructing via the media that I'm taking in. Uh, and I need to learn how to calm down and critically think and work on right. myself. Basically, it is a personal process mm-hmm. versus, um, you know, what I really have been seeing is that and even the concept of virtue that you're talking about is like people think it's virtuous to do what they're told, like Dr. Fauci said. Yeah. So that's right. got to be the right thing to do. And, and then when I'm oh, yeah, when I say, well, you know, I disagree with Dr. Fauci potentially because look at what this, you know, Dr. Malone said or Dr. Eden mm-hmm. or Dr. McCullough or any of these guys right. that are speaking out. And then I'll notice they'll get they get triggered. I mean, that's when the trigger yeah. happens and you're yeah. not having a, a logical conversation anymore. You're not participating in, in like, you know knowing, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, teaching each other or this process of, of learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, they're, you know, they're telling you that you're not virtuous, you're a bad mm-hmm. person, you're selfish, and and all these other things that we're hearing. It's yeah. fascinating, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it basically, I think, like, in the COVID era, 
this uh, gatekeeping, the moral gatekeeping side of of the way they see journalism has uh, added this uh, this personal behavior side to the gatekeeping. So it's like they're all choosing to behave their way to like do their part. You know, that's how they see it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just trying to do my part. Um, I do it again if I had to, even though it made me really sick or whatever they say, you know, I do my part. Um, cause that's how they look at their jobs too. They have, so it's like, it's now turned to this weird personal professional, uh, pairing like where, like you heard that guy again, to go back to the, the video that I yeah. analyzed with that reporter who's like, Oh gosh. Yeah. See, he sees that as journalism now too. He sees his personal choices off camera as part of like his whole thing. And that's, I think partially why, if not in large part, why he felt no qualms about including that in his story, his decision about what to do with the vaccine and not only what to do with it, but to say it as if he's like, what do you think? I'm an idiot. Of course I did this, you know? And, and so that, so he, but he, but to include that, he must've felt like that was important to the news story, mm. his personal decisions. So yeah, so there's this there's this weird um, this weird pairing now of like what a journalist is doing outside the newsroom and the way that that's affecting how they report. I don't know which came first here, the the reporting or the behavior. You know, do they have to justify their behavior with their reporting, or are they justifying their reporting with their behavior? I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe right. it's not one or the other, but um, yeah. I mean, in order for them to change the reporting, yeah, they would have to on the outside. They would have to also be like able to question their behavior. You know. Yeah. So, so, and if they can't do that, if they can't question the choices they've made over the last year, the um you know, the, the things they've said to others, like you have to be, you have to have a certain level of not just awareness, but, um, I don't know if it's confidence or what to just be able to be like, Oh, I guess I was wrong. You know, in, in order to, right. to say, to, to be able to go look back and say, crap, you know, I got that wrong. And, and maybe I did bet, you know, I did some bad things by saying that I, 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 so like a while ago I did this video with this guy, Dr. John Catanzaro, who was a physician in Seattle that the uh, Department of Health released, like he was experimenting on his patients or something. And I didn't, you know, I, I'm, I'll be the first one to say like, I was asleep at one point in time. I wasn't always awake and yeah. I'm still learning. You know, yeah. I'm not always getting everything right. I have a lot of stuff to unravel from my own, you know, time in mainstream news. But, um, well, okay. So I was the night side reporter and they, you know, the press release comes out and of course we're not gonna be able to get a hold of him or his office. Cause it's already closed. The press release comes out at like four forty-five at night. Office is closed. Can't get a hold of him. We'll just get it on. So we don't wait to get, you know, his side of the story. We just run with the department of health soundbite or press release. And, um, you know, days later, I finally talked to his patients who basically had their treatments thrown out, even though that was like, he was operating, um, it's just a long story, but let's just uh, say he was basically operating, you know, with a treatment that was not fully FDA approved, but he was allowed to use it if his patient uh -huh. signed off on it. Okay. And then right. the story was something like one patient said they didn't know. And then it turned into this whole mess. But what ended up happening was all the patients, these are cancer patients. Okay. And I met with them, some who had stage four melanoma. Right. multiple myeloma, which killed my grandfather in like four months. And they were alive for 10 years. And those people wanted to take that treatment. They didn't care that it wasn't fully FDA approved. They were alive and they wanted to still see this doctor. Well, all of their treatments were thrown out. 
because of the Department of Health's, you know, case against this guy, which took a long time to work out. Over 20 people died. Uh, was it because they lost their treatments or not? I don't know. Would they have died anyway? I don't right. know. But did I did I help ruin that guy's reputation and push the Department of Health narrative and potentially put those people at risk and cost them their lives? I may have. And that's a huge that's a huge failure on my part. And it, and and you know you have to be able to stare yourself in the mirror and say. Like I did that in order to grow from it, you know, in order to move from it and say, I want to do better. You have to be able to face yourself. And and maybe it's just, they, they can't, you know, part of me just wonders if it's just like they, there's this, this, this denialism or something that, sure. you know, they just can't face the harm. Um, journals are just people, right? So they, they suffer from the same things that everybody else is. I think the real problem with them is that they, they think that they're not, you know, they think that they're not just the, like the average yeah. person. So you see that with, you know, lawyers and judges and, um, you know, I think that's maybe one of the reasons why you see so many leaning on the institution, because if you have to, if you face like your, your individual, uh, if you're utilizing your individual critical thinking, maybe instead of leaning on the institution to kind of feed you what the narrative is, then you actually have to take responsibility for what you're saying too, at the same time. Right. Um, and that's a big thing. And denial is a very, very powerful uh, you know, it's a very I, powerful thing. I kind of wonder if that's part of why the bureaucratic sources get pushed so easily. Cause then they can just look at themselves and say, Oh, well, sorry, the government said it. I mean, what am I supposed to do? You know, right. I'm just reporting what the government said. I, I don't know. You know, well, in the case of Dr. Catanzaro, for instance, you could walk away from that and say, still say, Hey, I still believe that guy should have, should have had his license taken away or, no, you, you say, I, I think that was ridiculous. His patients didn't have the right to choose whatever you walked away from though. It's my responsibility to, to try to do the best I can to understand the nuances of the topic mm. so that regardless of how you walk away, you've walked away with the best information I could give you in order to make that decision. And, you know, having to rush it to get it on at 11, um, who cares, you know, like let's say Dr. Cotton zero had called and said, Hey, the department of health is trying to screw me and this is what they're doing. Do you think we would have just run with it at 11, you know, right. and not called the, the department of health? No, we would have waited. We would have tabled that story until we like got a statement from the department of health and did all this thing. But see, that's what I'm trying to explain to people. Like, that that's how those bureaucratic ideas just get pushed because they're just for whatever reason they're they have a lower bar to jump through. We would never in a million years have just run with a doctor calling us saying the Department of Health is doing all these, you know, we should we should take away their their ability to do their job because A, B, or C and just run with it without a statement from the Department of Health or done a, a significant amount of investigating. Never in a million years. But we absolutely would run with the Department of Health's press release without sure. asking the doctor their side of the story. Yeah, I mean, it's just that same concept with, uh, well, hey, Dr. Fauci said it, and so that must yep. be, you know, the right thing to do. And if you're reporting on what Dr. Fauci says, then you do, you have, you know, the CDC and the NIH and all these institutions that are backing that statement uh, without having to do the research, which, as you say, most journalists just don't even have time, even if they have the inclination to try to uh, come up with, the, you know, the, a counter narrative or a, a, at least even, you know, represent a different point of view or some kind of a debate between different points of view. Um, it's just so much easier. And then, you know, what's fascinating, even I'm thinking about how those bureaucratic institutions, they don't, they have the same pressure and they don't want to change even when right. maybe the, uh, you know, the facts change. I mean, we've got the, 
the facts going on with the vaccine right now. Clearly, it's waning over time. Uh, clearly, it's not working with the new variants. And uh, and still, the solution is more vaccines. You know, it's not like you... maybe we should look at an early treatment protocol that might work. You know, right. no, <laughs> if we, we just spent keep... billions of dollars on that. We might find something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just keep disparaging all of those. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did you see the video of the CDC director on the Today Show where she tells Samantha Guthrie or Savannah Guthrie that uh, we have hope, but um, no data? I, I heard that. Yeah. I heard the oh quote. God. Right. So, yeah, it's just, um, you know, I, I didn't see what the follow up was to that, but. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, certain people are just held to different standards and depending, that's the other problem too, like depending on the administration, obviously they're capable of nitpicking politicians if they want to, because Trump was the worst thing that ever happened to humanity, right? For four years, right? they said they had to change everything they were doing. The New York Times headline, even before the 2016 election was that Trump is challenging the norms of objectivity. And basically they, they run through this like pros and con list of doing journalism differently in order to stop Trump. And at the end, they're like, well, people probably distrust us a lot more if we do this, but you know what? We have to, sorry. You know, that was basically their conclusion at the end. And that's exactly what ended up happening. Over the last four years, distrust continues to climb, uh, and and yet they still are digging in their heels, thinking this is sorry, but this is just what we have to do, uh, you know. And now it's not Trump; it's COVID. There's always, there just seems to be like more and more. We need to find this boogeyman. There's this inherent danger, this imminent danger, and um, and we right. just have to keep more and more mounting our defense of communication, you know, protecting communication, protecting information and silencing that, that information that's outside of what we feel like is, is healthy and acceptable. Uh, just more and more that's, that's becoming the new definition of journalism. And, and, um, it, it, you know, I would be like, even with my old industry, if they just went on at the end or at the beginning of the newscast and said, Hey, welcome to the five o'clock news. This is the best we could do today, but we didn't really have a lot of time. And then they just told you a story and I would be totally fine with that. It's like, just, just be honest with people that like, we really didn't vet this, you know, but I'm, I'm Allison Morrow. Welcome to the five o'clock news. By the way, we only had like an hour to put this together. So take it with a grain of salt and make sure you do your research. Then that would right. be fine with me. <laughs> it's just, it's just the way we do it now. It's like, you make it sound like you're the authority because they want to believe that about themselves. Do you think that um, a lot of, because a lot of what's going on, I mean, you talk about leadership and I'm thinking, you know, I remember when the, when the, the COVID thing first started happening and, and my initial response was like, well, I hope the leadership like calms people's down and let's take a step back and figure out, you know, how bad this thing is and what's the best way forward. And instead it was just 24 seven hammering of the most fearful rhetoric that, right. you know, that could possibly have come out, which, you know, I mean, from a leadership point of view, from, in my opinion, is just the worst way to go about, uh, you know, you don't want to incite like mass panic, right? <laughs> you want to, you want to like figure you do out if uh, panic means money. Well, you know? I mean, that, and that's the, hence the question. I mean, do you think it's the, the, the way the system is set up right now, the mainstream media just gets more ratings off of, yeah. off of money, but then I think mm -hmm. also maybe the government, you mean uh, fear and panic? Yeah. Money, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's easier to pass these trillion dollar bills and, and, uh, and yeah, because you want somebody to, to come in and babysit you. Yeah, because you need the, right. the government to babysit you or the news needs to babysit you. Somebody needs to babysit you when things are really bad. So, uh, 
Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, right. uh, you know, you don't have the time to do the research yourself. So you need to come, co- keep coming back to whatever your favorite news source is, and they'll do, they'll do it all for you. And, uh, yeah. And that's just, obviously that's just not what's going on, but yeah, I do. I do think that it's always been kind of the thing, like if it bleeds, it leads. So, right. I, and, and I also do wonder if Biden, like say if COVID had come under the Biden administration, if it would have been different. Um, cause you know, it, it, the, the mainstream press, I feel like does handle him significantly differently. And, um, you know, would they have wanted it to be less of a, like, would they have done exactly what you were saying? If he had been the guy in charge when COVID became a reality, would they have done what you're saying? It's going to be fine. It's all right. Because remember at the beginning, and this is what I got suspended from YouTube for even talking about hmm. at the beginning when Trump was like going to shut down travel and, you know, he was calling it the China virus and everything. Um, they're all like, it's not, it's fine. You know, it's fine. It doesn't, we don't need to shut down travel. That's racist, whatever. And then he's, and then when he starts talking about like, it's going to be fine or whatever, they're like, it's not fine. It's going <laughs> right. to kill everybody. You know? So you could just, you could really see them flop on that. Cause I, I showed these videos last year. Well, I showed it this year, but these are videos from last year from NBC and CNN, the NBC video, the guys like Damascus work. Not really, not all the time, you know? And right. then the CNN video was uh, Sanjay Gupta basically saying it's just like the flu. This is at the beginning of the pandemic. Interesting. Uh-huh. Actually. Yeah. Well, so I'm sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, the point of my showing it on YouTube was to show how YouTube has these, has these rules for, for, uh, corporate, news, meaning no rules, and then rules for independent journalists, which is like targeting them constantly and making their, harassing them, basically making their life living hell. And uh, so I did this video showing, hey, why are these videos still up? Because they're like going through other independent creators, videos from like seven years ago and suspending them based on videos from a long time ago that don't even break rules. It's like ridiculous. And then you have these blatant um, violations of their community guidelines on the corporate media and they're, they can do what they're still there. Sure. So the, the, they just proved my point because then they suspended me for showing the videos. So is that they said it was medical misinformation and it's like, but that's NBC and CNN's video, not mine. I just, all I did was show the videos and say, okay, why are these people allowed to say this? Right. So YouTube suspended me for, you know, of course it was reversed after you raise hell about it on social media, which is, it's terrible that that's the only way that anything gets done because the only people who can be the loudest voices for the long term are going to be the ones that are in power. The the little guys are never going to be able to raise, you know, kick up the same kind of dirt um, to get you to do what they want on a long term basis. It's always going to be the people who are in control. And um, and so that even though I was reinstated after that, it was not really a, a celebration for me because it just goes to show that they're not basing their community guidelines and their enforcement of them on science. They're just basing it on whoever makes their life more difficult. And for one day. I made their life more difficult. So they let me back into my channel, but I'm not going to do that all the time. I don't have the the power and the resources to do that. So they're, they just bend to whatever the, the greatest, uh, you know, power influence is. And then that's always going to be, you know, the corporate media, the government or whatever else. So it, what it, it just, it really showed me that, you know, it's, it's definitely a setup. Like all, all of this is, is a, you know, a, a, this is like the pyramid, the people at the top of the pyramid structure, yeah. five companies or whatever else. And, and, and they're just, they're determining things for the rest of us. And I just wish, I just wish that more people realized how aligned these, these, these power brokers are and how intentional the, 
the grooming is, you know, the, the work that they're doing, it's not a coincidence. And, um, and so you have, yeah, you have to be even more, you just have to be even more on guard. And, and I think that's, you know, go to like our lifestyle change. I think one of the only ways you really can do that in today's world is to try to, to, to know more by, by like keeping your life as close to, I mean, you know, as close to home, I guess, if that makes sense. Like I can know where my food comes from. If I buy from the rancher down the street, it becomes harder for me to know where my food comes from. If I go to the grocery store or if I buy it online or whatever else. And so like, you know, the more and more, it's it's just harder to know with a, with assurance, you know, with real confidence that you know what you know, unless you're like even seeing it for yourself. You know, you have to do a lot of research nowadays. It's very confusing for people, and I totally understand. I, I understand why it becomes overwhelming, um, but I just want people to know that that you're, you know, it's 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 not. Um, you know, you're not going to just, just by like going along to get along, you, you got, it's just, you ha- you just have to do the work. It, it's, it's a concerted yeah. effort, even if it is a bunch of bots, you know, a vast majority of bots just repeating it. Just, well, think about there was always a Darth Vader and a bunch of stormtroopers. You know what I mean? Right. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's uh, what's really fascinating though, is that, you know, journalists are supposed to be the ones who are doing this work for people like I totally get it you know yeah. people are people are listening to NPR in the morning on their way to work and they're not mm-hmm. gonna you know they're working for their eight hour day or more yeah. so they can put food on the table and pay rent and right. they're not gonna spend the four or five hours that it might take to sit at their computer and double check what they heard on NPR yeah. that morning yeah. and so they just trust it because it again it comes from the institution that's and it's reporting on what the institution you know wants everybody to hear and um and I get it. And it's sad, actually, that the the institutional journalists, uh, the corporate media is not actually serving that function for people. I mean, that's supposed to right. be what, you know, what they do is they're doing that research and then they're giving the people really, hopefully, both sides of the issue so that they can make choices for themselves uh, based on both sides. And instead, mm-hmm. you know, they're just feeding us the, the corporate narrative or the or the government narrative. Uh, and then essentially censoring those who disagree. It's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it is. And and I you know, it's unfortunate that that we're at a point now where uh, so they think that what they're doing I guess is saving people's lives. They're all they're doing is preaching to the choir. They're not because mm-hmm. as you know, the 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 people like if they're trying to to um move behavior in a direction that they feel like is the right way to go well okay then then you're trying to reach out to people who are not going in that direction right now right that would be like you're trying to change their minds right because the people who are already doing what you want them to do that's you know but it's not changing their minds doing this is not changing their minds i i i I see it all the time in my uh digital community people in the comment section or whatever they're not they don't say oh you know man I saw that the the media was calling this person an agent of dis- disinformation and, you know, wrote this his- hit piece on them and doesn't let them on, you know, to talk or whatever. They must be doing what's right for me and what's best for me. So that person must be crazy. No, their like initial reaction is that that person must be right because the media is writing a hit piece about them. Right. And, it, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, it drives people, I think, to be like, I, I've actually, I think one of the most honest things I heard from somebody um, in one of the comments was, 
was that they almost don't just, they're afraid that they're going to, there is going to be something like helpful that's going to come out, but like, they're not going to believe it. And they're going to fall to their death because they just don't believe anything anymore that any of the journalists say, and they could like, they could come with, they could have like the, the cure for COVID at some point or whatever. And, and these people are just not going to listen to them. They're not going to listen to them. And, and, and that's another thing that made me realize like, it's time to start speaking out about this because I think we're starting to get to a point where, yeah, there is, there is so much rage that is building up around the way that the media is setting these things up is just like so overly simplified. You know, you're a murderer. If you do this, you're the good person. If you do that. And, um, and they're just fine with that. And, and the level of just distrust, not of, of like the institutions themselves, but of just each other, you know, of people just not wanting to, to, um, have conversations with each other. You're not inviting this person over for Thanksgiving anymore. People aren't talking to their moms or their dads anymore because they've got different news sources. This is insane. So I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm just trying to tell you if you're making life or death decisions, or you're deciding to, to, um, ostracize a family member, please don't do that based on what you see on mainstream news. Okay. If you want to do it fine, but don't do it based on what you see in mainstream news, do it for another reason. You know, they smell bad or whatever else, but don't do it because of what we told you. Cause we don't really know what we're talking about. You know, you should, like I said, watch it with the, with the beginning, like opening credits in your brain that take this with a grain of salt. Cause we did the best we could. <laughs> that's, that's what every news station should be saying and, and newspaper and online publication and whatever else. And right. you should not be making, you should not be making these, these permanent decisions, these life or death decisions, just based on what you saw on the today show. If you are listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of the shift with Doug McKinty. For access to the full feature-length versions of the podcast, go to www.theshiftnow.com and subscribe for the audio version for just $6 a month. Access the full-length episodes in video form through rockfin.com by subscribing at the Shift with Doug McKenty landing page. For $9.99 a month, you gain access not only to the Shift, but also all other premium content material hosted on the platform. Detoxify your body, decolonize your mind, make the shift. Well, I've already gone over the 60 minute mark. We were trying to hold it to that, but this has been a great conversation. Um, I think what you were just saying too, about controlling others, I, I have, we, we could go on for quite a long time with right. what you just talked about, but I know that you're busy. So well, I'm happy to come back anytime. Okay. Yeah. sounds like a plan. I'd love to do it again. I mean, uh, again, just because of your experience as a professional journalist, I mean, it really gives you insight uh, into that world that so many people are wondering like, what the heck is going on? You know, again, what I get all the time is somebody that's producing independent contact uh, content is, you know, all, all the journalists can't be lying the, you know, the whole corporate system or whatever, but uh, hearing it from your point of view, you can kind of get a sense of, of, well, actually, I mean, it's not that they're lying. They're just, the system itself isn't al- allowing yeah. them to present uh, op- opposing views or even giving them the time to really do the research necessary to understand opposing views. So, yeah, I mean, if you watch Star Wars and you both fear the stormtrooper, but also kind of feel bad for him because you're like, they don't know what they're just getting sent right. out to the slaughter. You they, know what I mean? They are dressed that, in white, aren't they? They're yeah, dressed in yeah. white. The symbolism's right there. Uh, <laughs> it's just like that's that's probably not a bad way to look at it. I don't think they would like to look at themselves that way, but you know, it's, right. it's not that far off. <laughs> well, cool, Allison. Do you want to let people know um, 
you know, where they can find your stuff and, and where, where have you been um, putting most of your content? Yeah. I know the YouTube channel and the Rockfin channel. Yeah. So I, um, I am on Rockfin and I think, you know, that's a great place if you like longer videos or live streams that I cut from YouTube, for instance, like I'll, yeah. I'll start them on YouTube and Rockfin and then only finish on Rockfin. Cause YouTube's just, I realized a while ago that it, I'm not going to beat them at their own game. So I'm just trying to game them back in order to get the word out there and be a bridge to the other side. If there are people who are like, I'm interested in more then I can go somewhere else where I'll get it. Um, so yeah, I do, I do have a lot of videos on YouTube, but, uh, if you want the real nitty gritty stuff, you got to follow me on the other platform. So Rockman, I'm also on locals. Um, that's, you know, locals is kind of like a Facebook meets a YouTube. So it's an easier place for people to get a hold of me. So if like you want to, if you want to be part of my community and send story ideas, I really do listen to a lot of what people send me because it, it helps. It's like having a producer, you know, of, of people who are kind of, um, looking at things differently. Cause I think I, I, I have a pretty decent community of, of independent thinkers. And so so I always tell cool. people to go there if you want to send send ideas. Rockfin's a, another place, and and then Odyssey. I don't know if you're on that as like a backup, but Odyssey yeah. at least backs up my YouTube channel. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and um, I've been enjoying Rockfin as well. I mean, and it's also a great place to go just because all a lot of so many independent content producers are right there in one place, so you yeah. can get a lot of new and uh, different information mm-hmm. um, right there totally. in the one place, and then. Um, um, what, what is the website too? Are you still, you're offering, uh, some training programs, some media training programs and editing and things like that. And social yeah. media. Yeah. Allisonmorrowmedia.com. Um, I really need to update that website so that it, you know, it becomes more of, I created it before I was doing all this stuff. So it was, okay. it was just for like clients, but, um, but yeah, right. if you're interested in like, Hey, say you're you you're a teacher. You teach journalism students, and you know you would like to get a hold of me to speak to your class. Or yeah, you want to learn how to um, yeah edit, or you want me to edit something for you. you. Want some some ideas on how to to talk about things publicly? And you know, say you're you're covering one. You're a doctor. You know, you're a doctor who wants to start a YouTube channel and and challenge some of the ideas that are out there. I, I try to help people. Um, who are not, you know, necessarily media savvy in the independent world, mm. um, you know, see how they might be able to get their message out there. And a lot of people that are kind of, you know, thinking the way you and I are thinking, but just don't know how to, how to do it on camera or right. ha- how to, you know, talk to people publicly. Um, I, yeah, I try to help people out with that kind of stuff too. So that, yeah, that's allisonmorrowmedia.com. Thanks for, for uh, suggesting that. Yeah, for sure. All right. And I'll just let people know that you've been listening to The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKenty. You can find all of my stuff, lots of free content, uh, and sign up for the newsletter. So I'll keep you informed as I get more stuff coming out uh, at www.theshiftnow.com. Right now on social media, actually, my personal Facebook page is the place to go connect. Um, Just under Doug McKenty on Facebook. And I'm also on Rockfin and Odyssey uh, and still limping away on YouTube. But uh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> a couple strikes there. So I don't know how long that's going to last. But anyway, I feel your pain. Right. Thanks so much for coming on, Allison. And uh, yeah, I'd love to do it again. So yeah. And hey, come on my channel anytime. Love to have you come talk about this stuff. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Cool. Take care, everybody. All right. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. That was my conversation with Allison Morrow. I have been waiting to have that talk for such a long time, and I was so happy that Allison, when she agreed to be on the show, and not specifically with Allison. I mean, I, I've been familiar with her work now for, uh, you know, quite a while, probably six months or so, 
um, but just the general conversation with someone that had professional journalism experience in the past so that uh, we could compare it. Uh, what's it like being an independent journalist? What's really going on at these uh, corporate uh, network jobs when it comes to um, you know, presenting facts, presenting issues uh, to the public, uh, and what is going on uh, in terms of behind the scenes in these corporations uh, with how these uh, narratives get manufactured. And so it was really good to have her point of view. I think, um, you know, the most fascinating thing about it, I can't say I was super surprised. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, people try to point at us, quote-unquote, as conspiracy theorists, or at me as a conspiracy theorist, and say there's no way that all the journalists and all the newspapers around the country are engaged in some grand conspiracy. And, well, obviously that's true, right? Um, but there is something going on that creates this dominant narrative, and then everybody kind of knows, well, if I speak out against the dominant narrative, then, you know, I'm probably going to get in trouble. It's this passive-aggressive form of censorship. I think we've all felt it at one time or another, uh, probably in, in any place of work or in a lot of social situations. And it's no different uh, in these uh, journalistic newsrooms. I mean... You know, the same notion that everybody thinks a certain way, and if I think differently, then I'm going to get put down. It gets onto this psychological level, and that's where uh, Allison and I went with this conversation, was to really kind of get into the psychology of it. And the interesting thing uh, was her description of a newsroom, a day in the life, uh, was basically that most journalists simply don't have time to disagree with the corporate narrative. It's not some grand scheme. It's, you know, you got four or five hours to put something together. It's got to be ready for the five o'clock, six o'clock news. Uh, you get your assignment at 10 o'clock, 10.30 in the morning. You've got a few hours to put this together. And the more you put together a narrative that conflicts with the mainstream narrative, well, the more research and the more fact-checking that you have to do, and that takes time, and you just don't have that kind of time. So, in one sense, uh, it's just a lot easier to just get the job done, to get your paycheck and go home, and why uh, raise a fuss, right? Why rock the boat uh, when you can just get the job done, make it happen, uh, and do it efficiently, uh, and make everybody happy. Um, and so clearly there's a lot of pressure on, on journalists to just kind of go with the flow in that way. Um, Allison did talk about, you know, potential leadership in the newsroom uh, to help teach uh, the journalists that they can have an individual voice. I mean, it's potentially possible. And then she kind of realized, well, you know, the mentors that I knew who were like that at the workplaces that I was at, they're not there anymore, right? I mean, you just don't get uh, those promotions. You don't stick around very long, right, if you're bucking the system. And this is how, I mean, this is how it works in every other organization, too. It's not like all the doctors are in on some grand conspiracy, but it's just amazing that, like, going up and bucking the system just sort of eventually... You know you're not going to get that promotion. You know you're going to get passed over. Uh, Allison and I were talking about, you know, who are the guys that get those promotions into those uh, national networks and then having access to uh, doing the interviews with the senators and the presidents and that kind of thing. Well, they're the journalists that go along to get along. They're not the journalists that, uh, that go with the flow. 
<laughs> or excuse me, the journalists that are dissenting with the dominant narrative. And it's so interesting, actually, that this has happened. Um, Allison mentioned a number of times kind of this idea of virtue, actually. Uh, and we had a good discussion about this, that the journalists that are going with the flow in these corporate newsrooms really feel like they're they're providing uh, uh, this um, you know this this really necessary community uh, service by telling them basically what the government is saying is the right thing to do. And if you disagree with what the government says, then you're not doing the right thing. And you're not being a virtuous person. Uh, and then you're being selfish. And we get into all of this. And, and uh, it's just so interesting. This is happening uh, all over the place in our community uh, today, in all of our communities, in all of these institutions. I'm hearing stories, you know, over and over again. Again, not just from the journalists, but from the doctors or the lawyers. Uh, or anybody that works in any kind of corporate structure, if you're not going along, uh, then your job becomes more and more and more difficult uh, until you make a choice like Allison did to break out of it and become independent and figure out how to make it in your own way. Um, but uh, having this uh, idea of moral superiority that many journalists have now who are just repeating the corporate narrative, uh, it's a real issue because journalists were always supposed to be the ones who ensure that the system is not corrupt, who are doing that kind of investigative journalism. Uh, and you're just not seeing it. You're seeing that the people who parrot what the government or the corporate narrative uh, is imposing uh, are the ones who make it in the system just over and over again. I mean, I think it's probably a general characteristic of, of patriarchy, actually. You know, you don't make it to the higher levels of the, of the hierarchy uh, unless you've been going along with the plan the whole time. Only the people that are are the ones that are going to get those promotions. So um, I think a lot of it really boils down to this other aspect that we were talking about, this institutionalization versus individualism. Uh, and we were getting into the psychology of this. Um, we talked a little bit about critical thinking because clearly being able to analyze the news that you're ingesting and critically think about it. And it was really interesting that Allison brought up that idea about uh, how critical thinking is, you know, really also closely connected to personal growth. You have to be willing to really look at yourself, not get triggered by information that goes against uh, some of your firmly held belief systems, but continue to analyze and continue to be objective about what you're seeing uh, and maybe change your your mind, right, based on the new information that's coming in. And this is the kind of flexibility we want to see in our journalists. Uh, but again, unfortunately, so many uh, are just sort of set in stone in terms of we report the corporate narrative, we report the government narrative. <coughs> and this is what, uh, you know, provides us virtue, provides us uh, the virtue of our the function that we provide our community. So they self-identify in this way. It kind of reminded me ultimately of this concept uh, of the banality of evil because again one of the things that Allison was mentioning was that it's not like reporters in the newsroom are these evil people who can't wait to propagandize uh, give people you know false information or misinformation to make the corporations rich and whatnot right <laughs> I mean this is not what's going on um, but nonetheless sort of in this passive-aggressive way, this is what's ending up happening. It's, it's so amazing. Um, people don't have to be bad people or evil people, uh, I think, 
uh, ultimately to do bad things, right? I mean, again, I'm not trying to really place a moral judgment on journalists who work for corporations. I get it, but um, but when the corporations or the system at large uh, are corrupted and and uh, you know they're not really they don't have what's best for the people at heart right uh, then these people who are dedicated to the institution who are going to go along to get along or who just uh, are quick to believe that the institutions are benign uh, without using that critical thinking without really analyzing what's going on here without questioning uh, and unfortunately that's what journalists are supposed to do for us, right? They're supposed to be the ones who question. I mean, that was another thing that we talked about, uh, how, you know, people go into work in the morning listening to NPR, then working an eight-hour day. It's the journalists whose eight-hour day is supposed to be spent vetting the information. So people, you know, hardworking people uh, who are doing other things with their time don't have to spend the time to double-check what they're hearing uh, on that NPR article or in that New York uh, Times article or Washington Post article, right? That should be what journalism is. But instead, uh, unfortunately, so often it's just parroting uh, from those sources without really analyzing or critically thinking. And again, as Allison mentioned, it really boils down to a lot of these journalists are doing a job and they don't have time because they're expected to produce content, uh, a quantity of content at the expense of that quality content because it does take time. Uh, to question the dominant narrative. Uh, you can use Dr. Fauci as a source, and you don't need to do any fact-checking. But if you uh, if you use uh, somebody who disagrees with Dr. Fauci, right, then you've got you know a couple hours worth of work on your hands, and you just don't have time because you got to get that content out. And this is really, I think, what stifles the average reporter on the beat. So really interesting information to have. What a fun conversation. And so I will just let you guys know uh, that you can find all of her stuff. Her channel is just called Allison Morrow on YouTube, on Rockfin, on Odyssey. I'm like her, I think, pushing people to go to Odyssey, or excuse me, to go to Rockfin because it is a free speech channel. Uh, she does Rockfin lives quite a bit, um, and they do have premium content there that if you want to purchase, <coughs> you get all kinds of uh, really good stuff from dozens and dozens of other content providers. So it's a one-stop shop for independent media. Um, and I know that she's been very active on that platform, so you can check out Allison Morrow on Rockfin. Also, um, she does have AllisonMorrowMedia.com, www.AllisonMorrowMedia.com, uh, where she does have some, if you want to learn a little bit more about how to do some independent journalism yourself or need some help with some editing or things like that, uh, you can go there and she'll help you out with that too. So that's another side of the work that she's doing right now. All right, well, another one uh, in the can here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, you can go to www.theshiftnow.com uh, and you can check out hours of free content and sign up for the newsletter so I'll keep you up to date with all the new stuff that I'm producing out of Doug McKenty Studios. Uh, and uh, if you haven't already, think about subscribing for the feature-length versions of my episodes, only six bucks a month, uh, and I'll let you into our private members-only Facebook group, too, so you can interact uh, with all the other members as well. So that's a pretty fun time. Uh, and so just again, thanks, everybody, for listening. Next time, uh, I've got Freddie Silva coming on the show. He... Uh, He's done a lot of work, actually, but he was, uh, in, the, in the 2000s, kind of wrote the seminal book on crop circles. So 
Uh, I've been wanting to do this crop circle interview also for such a long time. I'm really looking forward to this one there. It's such an amazing phenomenon uh, and I'm looking into uh, looking forward to kind of taking that deep dive because so many people through the, the media, the corporate media propaganda, right, have just heard that it's all been debunked. But uh, actually, the deeper you look into it, the more it's like, what really is going on there? So I hope you all stay tuned for that one coming out next week. All right. Thanks, everybody, for checking this one out. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care.